0: You're listening to Discovering Multifamily, where we discuss all educational topics in commercial real estate with an emphasis on multifamily apartment investing via syndication. And now, your hosts, former NFL fullback Brian Leonard and Anthony Scandariato. Hi,
1: everybody. Welcome back to another episode of. Multi Family Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Anthony Scandariato, here with Red Knight Properties, and today we have a jam-packed show. Uh, we have James Nelson with us. Um, James is uh, based out of New York City, and uh, he's a real estate veteran in multiple different asset classes. You might have heard his name, you know, thrown around before if you follow commercial real estate um, and also, you know, investment sales, which is what James focuses on. Um, he's been around for. Over 25 years, maybe a little bit longer, James. Uh, But, uh, you know, he sold more than 500 properties during his tenure, originated loans over $5 billion, um, launched a couple of different real estate funds. And he's got a lot of valuable insights to the audience here today. And, um, you know, we're going to talk about uh, a variety of different things. But uh, James has a book coming out. Uh, It's called The Insider's Edge to Real Estate Investing. Game changing strategies to outperform the market. And, you know, we're recording this at yeah, end of Q4 of 2022. A lot of different things going on in the market with inflation, interest rates, um, you know, supply chain risk. And, you know, really what it's, it's coming down to, I think it's becoming a little bit more clear, at least for us, is, you know, we really still are bullish on real estate. Different asset classes are, um, you know, very different from each other, but, you know, it's still, tangible asset and uh, like James will tell you you know he's been around so um, we're gonna talk about you know how, why real estates better than the stock market and you know despite every all the headwinds it, with everything going on um, why is, is it still a good time to invest in real estate and kind of how James started with his career and uh, where he's at today so really excited to have you on the show here
0: Awesome. Thanks so much, Anthony. Really appreciate it. And uh, wonderful to see what you're doing on this podcast with your own portfolio. I know you've been expanding. I know you've done a lot right across the river in, in Jersey, but I know you're also expanding. So it's awesome to see uh, an investor a host who who's practicing what, what he preaches. So um Really happy to be here. Uh, The only corrections, I I, I haven't come up to 25 years yet in the business. I mean, hard to believe that it's coming up on that long. But yes, uh, uh, in in June of next year, I'll be coming up on that that milestone. And, um, you know, I I was pretty lucky. I just fell into the business um, right out of school. Uh, my, my senior spring, my, my friends had already, most of them had already secured investment banking jobs. I still didn't have anything planned, but I knew I wanted to move to New York. So I, I saw a job posting to be a sales associate to work for Massey Realty as an investment sale broker, uh, which was founded by one of the, um, alums from Colgate. And I later found out that they only had two people who applied for the job and I was their second choice. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> the the good news was the uh, their first pick. He didn't last long, and I, I went on. Seventeen years later, became a partner. We ended up selling the company to Cushman and Wakefield. I had three great years there, and then uh, had an opportunity to build out the investment sales platform here at Avis & Young. So we now have a team of close to three dozen people, and as you mentioned, we handle all different types of asset classes. I know this is a multifamily show. Um, done a lot of work in multifamily. That's still our bread and butter. Probably half our sales. Um, and then as an investor as well, and as an LP, um, and as a, a general partner in, in a, a fund where we put out JV Equity for value-add deals in New York City, have a, have a lot of multifamily uh, experience. So really
1: excited to be here today uh, with you to discuss. Awesome. So not quite 25 years, tw- 24 and a half. That's, I mean, that's three cycles, I would say, right? Maybe four? Okay. Yeah.
0: yeah, I mean, and, and, and it's uh, it's a good point because I think, you know, right now, Uh, We're we're going into a time where there's been unprecedented increase in interest rates, you know, with the inflation out of control. And, you know, although it's it's different than some of the, the downturns in the past. I, I think what's what's similar is I, I think about when I got into the business in, in ninety eight and then we had the dot com bust and then we had nine eleven we had the great financial crisis which was probably the most dramatic when I watched our brokerage business drop ninety percent that's nine zero from two thousand seven to two thousand nine but then I also saw the market turn and, and pivot and and I think. Um, if you listen to all the the legendary investors out there, they'll tell you that some of the best opportunities are in these uh, times of uncertainty. Certainly, if you subscribe to the Warren Buffett school of of investing, which is to be greedy uh, when 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 others are fearful, be fearful when when others are being greedy. So, you know, I think what's happening right now in the market is that a lot of uh, buyers are on the sidelines. They assume, hey, if I wait another six to nine months, pricing's only going to get better. And I think they're potentially missing out on opportunities. And part of what I talk about in my book is, um, yes, you can find great opportunities in any market if if you know uh, where to look and and you have the right team with you to to execute on them.
1: Yeah, that's a great point that you brought that up because we're for us we're always looking. It doesn't matter, you know. Yes, interest rates change, but we're always looking at the fundamentals of, and we focus on multifamily as you mentioned, James. So. We're always just looking at a lot of different variables, but do the fundamentals, are the fundamentals still sound, um, you know, and higher interest rates is just one part of the equation. Um, and I think a lot of people are, are misconstruing that uh, right now. So uh, we're currently, you know, we're not looking yet. We're, we're about to start seeing what's out there again, but I think I think you're right in, in that respect. Um, so that's, you know, at least with your experience, you know, a lot different than 2008, 2009, you know, recession. Um, you know, talk about what you're seeing in New York City. Um, obviously, very challenging city. Um, you know, lots of red tape uh, for those listening. And, and you're dealing with multifamily. I'm assuming you're dealing with a combination of rent-stabilized buildings, free market buildings. Um, you know, what are you seeing in terms of volume now? Um, where are you seeing the most buyers come out of? Or are, they, are they local? Or are you seeing the foreign money start to come back? Um, with all the currency, you know, stuff going on, what uh, what are you seeing in New York specifically?
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I know you have a national audience as well, and we were actually seeing these trends even uh, before COVID. So, 2019, um, the state came out with um, new guidelines on uh, they call it the 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 Housing Stability and Tenant Protection Act, and what it did was it basically uh, froze units that were in rent-regulated uh, status in perpetuity. So, you know, when I started my career, we would sell these rent-regulated re- apartment buildings at three caps because the idea was you go in... Um, you either buy out tenants, you wait for them to vacate. You know, in many cases, there were tenants who were taking advantage of the program, living there illegally. So these investors would love to go in and buy a building where you had average rents at $800 a month when the market was, you know, $2,500 or $3,000. And so even though you were buying it at a three cap, you had this incredible upside. So what they did in 2019 is they said, OK, there's no more luxury control. Once stabilized, always stabilized. And as a result, we saw a massive correction in pricing. So that even happened before COVID that we saw cap rates go from, you know, mid threes well, um, you know, right around the 5% range. And now with interest rates going up, we're seeing even cap rates push, you know, well into the fives and even at the 6% range in, in some cases. And and your, your question is a good one is, you know, who are the buyers, who are the sellers and, We did see uh, a lot of investors like yourself kind of look down into the southeast and a lot of talk about blue states and red states. And, um, you know, it's we certainly saw a lot of the long term investors here diversify and say, look, I I have my entire portfolio here in New York. That doesn't make a lot of sense, especially with these regulatory headwinds. So we, we have seen a lot of flight capital from New York. But on the flip side, we've also had a lot of new investors come in and say, hey, this might be the opportunity to buy in. And we are starting to show more yield. So yes, there's challenges. Yes, you might not have the same upside that you had before. But I I do believe that where the returns are today, you know, offset that. I mean, I know you're active in the Southeast, you know, there there was uh, before the rates started going up, I, I know some of these markets like Nashville, um, you know, Charleston, you know, even Texas, Florida, all over, uh, you were seeing cap rates in the mid threes. Now that you, you have to go borrow um, in the mid fives, regardless of where you are, you know, that's going to put upward pressure on the cap rates. Whereas here in New York, um, you can still get financing that's at least nu- neutral or even in some cases accretive. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, we, we, we've seen some of those investors looking for the higher yields here. We also get a lot of foreign appetite here, a lot of cash buyers, which is certainly helpful today uh, because not only rates are going up, but also um, we're seeing less proceeds available now. The banks are getting a lot more conservative.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. That's an interesting point. Um, you know, it, do it, buyers think that New York is, is this the bottom? Because it always somehow it always turns around. It's just a matter of time. And like you said, if you just put the right debt product on it, you can kind of ride out these storms. And um, if it takes a little bit longer, then so what? But the capital has to be more patient. So a lot of these value add, you know, guys, including myself, like to see, I guess, quick, more quicker. Um, but you know, different risk profiles for different uh, investor appetites. So so that makes sense to me. Um, what? So you told us a little bit about your story. Uh, it's obviously you've had a lot of success. Um, in growing, you know, with massey knackle and then selling to Cushman. I actually remember when that happened. That was, what was that, 2018? It's about eight years ago, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, um, yeah so can you talk about growing that team with Massey and and um, how do you, I guess, continue? You, you're still, you know, a commercial real estate broker. So did you, take a pop, did you take on a lot of the agents you, you know, had underneath you to Cushman? And then now you're at Avis & Young. How did you kind of? That's three companies, and how did yeah. you transition that over yeah. basically a decade?
0: So, so the when we sold Massey and Ackle to Cushman, it was it was seamless. You know, we stayed in the same office, same platform. Here's your new business card. You know, you're now part of this global network, and um, you know, start you know look and refer more business um, beyond just you know the investment sales that we were doing in in New York. So, um, you know, that was a very smooth transition. Um, when you, lead, when you make a move uh, to a new brokerage firm, it's very important that you do it in the right way. So part of it is any exclusives that you're working on, any of that past business stays with the company, right? So, you know, in fact, I, I had one client uh, when he read the news the next day that I was moving firms, he says, James, I can't believe this. I was in your office yesterday and you were pitching me on why you should list for me at, at, at Cushman. And here I see the next day you're going to another firm. And I said, well, you know, until my last day there, that, that was my duty. That was my job. So I think it's very important. Um, you know, and I I'm sure you've got some brokers who are listening to your show too. And, you know, brokers move around and find different, you know, fits and different platforms work better for different people. And, you know, for me, Avis and Young was just an incredible opportunity to, to build something out. Um and so uh yes uh I I think kind of the team building is a huge part of my story. Uh I've got a great group and and part of that also was when you move firms um you cannot bring anyone with you. So it's 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 another thing if people call you after the fact they want to come join you but that really has to be their idea. You can't, you know, um you know move as a group per se. So I was very respectful and and cautious with the way that happened. But yeah, to, um there were already um about a dozen people here. Uh, in the investment sale group at Davison Young. I uh, had some other people who ended up following me. Uh, and, and then we we brought in and, and recruited a lot of new talents. So we're we're close to three dozen people here now. Um, we pride ourselves that we work as one unified sales team. So, you know, most brokerage firms and for your listeners who are out there buying, you know, maybe they're aware, maybe they, they don't. When they call maybe one broker at a brokerage firm, they might only be getting a couple of the deals, but they got to call someone else at the same firm to hear other deals. And you know, that never made a ton of sense to me. I just, you know, for the investor experience, I want them to be able to call anyone um, in our tri-state investment sales group and that person is plugged in. And they might not have, they might not be the expert on that deal that you want to buy, but they at least have the basic information. They can at least connect you with who's handling it. So it's it's a much easier process for the investors. So we're, we're really proud of that. Um, as I said, we've been very active until you know, uh, the last couple of months when things have really slowed down because of the these headwinds with the interest rates. And I think this is just buyers and sellers, for that matter, trying to sort out, um, you know, where do you go from now? And that's why in this market as an investor, very important, this is some of the advice uh, that I give in the book, um, and the advice that the whole title, the Insider's Edge to Real Estate Investing, the, the whole notion is, yes, this is an insider's game, And this is um, an investment where if you know the right people and you know the right strategies, you can gain the advantage and outperform the market. So, you know, finding out why someone is selling today is so important. As a broker, it shocks me how rarely buyers ask me, James, why is the person selling? Mm
1: -hmm. Right. Like
0: it's a bad thing to ask, you know, and seller's motivation is the number one thing. If you only remember one thing from this entire podcast. Remember seller's motivation, because I promise you it is going to help find you deals where you end up buying something at well below market value because you find that right opportunity, right seller, right time. Um, A quick example, this is right before COVID, we we were working with an estate. And we had a restaurant with a vacant restaurant with 72 apartments above in the mm-hmm. heart of Greenwich Village. It was in really bad shape because the family, the kids just didn't know how to run the building. It was half vacant. kind of had shut down the gas. It was a disaster. And we had a contract out before COVID for $32 million. COVID hit. I mean, Anthony, you probably remember, we, we, we didn't know if it was the end of the world. We, we didn't know if we were going to be in this for weeks, months, years. Um, and so, yeah, it was a scary time, but most of our clients were just saying, you know what, James, I'm pulling from the market. I'm not doing anything. Let's wait and see where this goes. And this estate, you know, the the, the executor said, look, we got to move this thing. Mm-hmm. 60 days later, we sell the property for $22 million. So how many, you know, sellers out there would take a $10 million discount in 60 days? Mm-hmm. Um, unless if it was the right mindset and the right profile. So, I think that's why it's, it's and that's just one example of one of the tips and, and ideas in, in the book. Um, but I, I believe whether you're buying at the top of the market, the bottom of the market, you find the right opportunity and you've got the right business plan and creativity to reposition and add value. And I know that's a big part of your business plan. You're not just relying on the market continue to go up and up and up. You've got a business plan where you're going to continue to improve the asset uh, as well to outperform
1: the market. Absolutely. Uh, if I could follow up, you, you, the motive I love the motivation part. Um, I always tell, you know, my investors and just my greater network. And every time I ask that question as a buyer to a broker, they may not understand why I'm asking that, you know, because it might be someone who's only been in the business for the past couple of years and they, they only know an up market. They don't know a down market. And usually the answer I get, you know, from unseasoned professionals is, why does it matter? Why does it matter with their mo-? Uh, I said, what did, what did this guy, what did the seller buy this for? How long have they owned it? Why are they selling? And they go, what does it matter? I'm like, that's like the first, that's that's the first question I always ask. Um, and and to that point, my, my question was going to be to you, um, you. Obviously, been around for a while, have great reputation, great team built out. How many deals do you, you mentioned you hit the market with that deal. How many, do you actually hit the market? Or do you like, you know, you have your group of investors, I'm sure, that are repeat. Um, what's that percentage versus you actually yeah. having to go wide? So, so Anthony, it's
0: another great question. And I'll answer for what we do at Avis and Young, but it, uh, I have a chapter in the book that is all about working with brokers because different brokers do things differently, right? And there's you need to also understand what is the role of the broker I'm speaking to, okay? Because the majority of deals are brokered, right? Whether they're on market or even something that's off market where the broker is helping you find it. So is the broker a sell-side broker who is exclusively representing the seller, their job is to, you know, maximize exposure, you know, get top price, or are they representing you, the buyer, looking for off-market opportunities? So, you know, look, I, I would say the overwhelming majority of the sales we do are from the sell side where we get retained, we run a full process. Um We just feel most comfortable there, especially in a a very competitive market like New York. We want to understand the product. We want to know what we're selling. Okay, now, that doesn't mean that there aren't great opportunities that we sell. Uh, I just told you about one one in Greenwich Village. And I think unless if we served in that role and could advise the seller and educate them and show them the landscape of offers, I don't think they would have. Transacted, So, you know, just because something's off market doesn't mean that you got a great buy. Um, you know, the, the seller might not be educated. They might not have as much to compare things to. So, yeah, th- there's all different ways that you can find opportunities. Um, I talk in the book about finding the broker mismatch. I, I love, you know, when you hear a residential broker who might have an apartment building, they don't really know what they have. So they do not have the ability to kind of get it to the right audience or the right buyers, or it could be you're talking to, maybe you're looking to buy commercial and you're talking to the leasing broker and you say, Hey, I know you have the space for a lease, but would the owner um, consider a sale? So sometimes finding an opportunity that way where you don't have to compete
1: with the the whole world. Yeah, no, i I, I... Come across the uh, residential, you know, listing a commercial building was very mispriced, so that creates opportunities as well. Um, so, so kind of leading off of that, you know, talked about building a team, you know, how to find good opportunities. At least in this cycle, I think I think it's all about motivation. This cycle, because because you got to know why are they selling? Because frankly, you know, it, we could debate all day is it a good time to sell or is it still a good time to buy. Um, You know, it's definitely turning more into the buyer's market. So for sellers to sell, it should be a good story around that.
0: Yeah. Um, So. So and on that note, estate sales for sure. Partnership disputes, court ordered sale, distress sales. Right now, when you're dealing with distress and we're going to start seeing some of this, especially on the office side where you've got tremendous vacancy. And so the first thing we do now when we look at a property is we want to see how much debt does the property have on it? Because, you know, look, we'd we love to try to help out an owner, but they might be upside down and there might be nothing that we can do for them. So if, if the building's worth less than what they own, the property, you really should be speaking to the lender, not not the um, not the borrower. But, you know, that being said, we, we've handled a couple of sales recently where the the you know, our client, the borrower said, look, I know my equity's wiped out of this, but I have personal guarantees. I'm on the hook. I just want to, you know, get this thing done. I think my lender will cooperate. They'll give, you know, a discounted payoff and, and sell. Um, that's obviously uh, you know, an owner who's willing to just accept reality and, and move on.
1: And you mentioned office. Um, any other asset classes on the horizon? Like what is your team tracking for some of that distress moving into 2023? Office. Definitely. Yeah, I mean,
0: office, just because there's been such a, sh- a shift in the way people work, um, you know, everybody's talking about it, so it won't be a surprise. But here in New York, there's um, we have uh, almost 20% availability now. I mean, think about that. That's 100 million square feet of space available. And some of it will, you know, get absorbed as people yes. kind of come back. But Look, I think the reality is people have just changed the way they work. And if they're not, if companies don't have their people coming in every day, you know, when they go to renew, they're going to consolidate. They're going to take less space. There's no doubt a flight to quality where we see, you know, the class A buildings are doing well, but kind of those, you know, BC buildings, not so well. And so that's why we're also looking at ways to convert those to other uses, um, you know, here in New York, we still have an affordability crisis. We still, you know, have a great need for apartments. So we're, we're working hard to try to f- figure out ways that you can convert office to residential.
1: And uh, you met, you kind of touched on, um, you know, just overall general office vacancy rates in New York or occupancy rates. Um, how have you are, you, are you remote? Is your team working remote? How are you managing that? Because, I mean, you know, during my career, we were always in the office. Um we, we no, we're going. we're
0: definitely I'm I'm here in the office right okay. now if you looked out my uh my my office yeah you know, we got the whole floor there I mean we're, we're this is an in-person business I mean if you work as a team I don't know how you can do do this remote I mean there's just too much that goes on we meet as a group in person every morning and um you know if, if you're doing something independently and you can, you know, do your work remote, you know, fine. But any anything team or if you're someone who's looking to learn the business, you know, if you're not the way I learned the business was sitting next to the partners and listening and absorbing everything they said. OK, you're not getting that if you're only kind of tuning into a couple of zooms, you know, you, you have to be there in person to
1: to witness that. Uh, 100% agree. And you hit the nail on the head, uh, especially for young folks starting out in the business and um, might want to be on the brokerage side. That's how I started out. I didn't start on the brokerage side, but I sat next to the principal every day, listened to all the phone calls with the investors and tenants and you name it. Um, So it's definitely important. And uh, yeah, there'll be some interesting opportunities, I think, coming up. Um, You mentioned your book, James. So as we wind down the show, how can uh, it's not coming out yet, right? It's going to be January. Which... Yeah. yeah,
0: it's going to yeah. release with McGraw Hill at the end of January. But if um, you can pre-order it now on Amazon, or if you go to jamesnelson.com, that's where all my uh, content is. You can find my podcast and my white papers and video series, but you can also find ways to order the the book there as well. So, yeah, no, I, I really appreciate the opportunity, you know, to share with, with you and your audience about the book because, you um, you know, I really do believe that real estate is such an exciting opportunity. You know, part of what I talk about in the introduction is unlike the stock market where everybody has the same information, you we can all go and find out what a stock is trading for each day. Obviously, you can't do that with real estate, right? And you could have two buildings on the same block that look the same, but have entirely different values. So, you know, by learning these skills and learning how to approach these deals, you know there there's huge inefficiencies in the market that you can capitalize on and that's that's really a big thrust of the the book um i also talk about um, the right people, right? And 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 you know this, you, you've been at this a long time and having the right people, the right team to execute on business. So I talk a lot about who you need on your team. So I really, um, I'm hopeful that anyone who's thinking about making their first investment, you know, for sure, this book will be a great resource for them. But I also think veterans who've been at this for a long time, they're going to get a couple actionable steps out of this book that says, Hey, if I read this and if I do this, you know, I I can end up with, you know, a
1: couple more opportunities this year. Yeah, no, excellent. I'm looking forward to reading the book myself and we'll have a link. You mentioned jamesnelson.com. So on iTunes and our podcast platform, we'll have a link to James's website. So you can definitely pre-order the book. Um, Again, the book is called Insider's Edge to Real Estate Investing. It'll be out at the end of January. And yeah, check it out. And if you liked what you heard and or saw today, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps the algorithms boost up so James and myself can get our message to a greater audience. That's just the way it works. So uh, really looking forward to reading it. And again, James, thank you so much for your time. And uh, looking forward to continuing our relationship. As am I. Thanks again for having me. Take care.